Hello and welcome to the season finale of our epic X-Men reread presented by Crushing Comics. I'm your host, Crisis with a K, and I'm here with two friends and we are enjoying a read of Claremont's X-Men from Giant Size X-Men in issue 94 all the way through issue 137, which is what we are talking about today. Tyler and I have read these before, but for Faria, it is the first time and we dearly hope that she survives the experience. Now, this is definitely going to be a retrospective of our entire time reading all these issues as we talk about this big season one finale of issue 137. So we're going to talk about things that have led up to this. We're going to talk about ramifications of this. It's going to involve spoilers. In fact, we're probably going to talk a little bit about House of X and Powers of X and maybe even hint at some of the status quo that comes after, although we will do our very best not to spoil any stories after House of X and Powers of X unless we can tell you explicitly that we're about to say something. So just go into it with all of those as warnings. Hello, my friends. Hello. I'm so excited. I'm really excited too. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of gotten on this journey and I'm like, oh my God, I am now like a Claremont soda expert. Not even. And I feel like we've been hype we've been hyping this moment to you for so long. So I'm so (laughs) interested to see what you thought about it. Right. Like, you know, and then this is like, not even just you, Fox also have been hyping this up for me for like last 20 years. (laughs) They keep trying anyway. Stop making this move, like making this storyline. So, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's something we should definitely talk about is kind of like the expectation versus reality of all the adaptations of Dark Phoenix. But, Mm -hmm. but, But before we get into any of that, I do have a little intro chat for us to warm up today, although we seem pretty warmed up already, Uh, (laughs) which is finales, finale ends of things, right? So this is kind of our finale of this initial season of our Epic X-Men reread. It's very much kind of the finale sort of of the initial Claremont and Burn run, although Burn runs for a few more issues. So I thought we could talk about what are some of our favorite endings without fully spoiling them, more talking about kind of how we felt about favorite endings. Tyler, do you have a show or a book or a series or something that had a favorite ending for you? Since we are at the season finale and not the series finale, um, I'm going to talk about, um, um, I mean, not talk, but I'm just going to mention like two season finale, which I thought was like really, really good. Um, One would be Fringe season finale one, (gasps) where they reveal the, the whole concept of the show. Like that, the, the first, the first reveal, um, and the second one would be the first season. Um, I think it's season one finale of um, persons of interest, which introduced Groot. So that these are the two that um sort of stuck in my mind quite a bit. In terms of season finale, especially season one finale. Yeah. Especially with Fringe, because I, I know that show and I've watched it. Isn't it interesting when, when a show kind of, it's hard to explain, it gives you everything that it's about and it never lies, but then it yeah. takes until the finale of that sequence of things to, to kind of tie all the stuff like, together. And then yeah. you have that you have that click moment. As opposed yeah. to things, I think it's kind of cheap when something goes, and that wasn't even really the story, which I think is kind of almost mm-hmm. contemporaneous to Fringe with stuff like Lost, where they're like, now everything is different than you thought it was. Whereas yeah. Fringe, kind of, even though every season of Fringe changed, it felt like it was very organically, like, let me give you the one piece you were missing to understand mm-hmm. this picture that you were seeing. That was yep. the that was a very fringe kind of way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Fringe is like one one TV show. I'm like, I want it to be a book. Like, <laughs> it would be fun as a book. Yeah, like you know, there could be so many other things that can be explained or side mm-hmm. things and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm still like have haven't watched the last two seasons though, but that's 
But Fringe, yeah. such as it is, it's almost easy to just like watch a season and kind of like put it away because they're all such a distinct mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So what about you, yeah. Freya? Do you have fond memories of a season or series finale? So I wanted to initially talk about a series finale, but since Tyler said season, I would say Good Place, season one. <laughs> mm, like, which we have mentioned before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we have mentioned before because that was like, you know, even though you're like, I had the suspicion that that's what they're going and that's what it was. And I was like, oh, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. So it was like a very satisfying that way. And then I was like, you know, very excited about it. So, um, and then also it was before, like, you know, I was actually watching it as it was coming out. So I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, no, now I have to wait for season two. <laughs> Why am I celebrating? <laughs> so, yeah, it, it kind of brings back that fond memory. I was really thinking about kind of the difference between season and series finales. The first thing I remember really ending as a series that I really remember seeing was Cheers, because I was probably in like middle school and it was something that I would watch every week. And I remember trying to stay up for it and there was all this expectation. It was one of like the highest rated series um, finales or, or television programs of all time at that time. And kind of understanding the sense from the adults around me who had been watching it, you know, since the, um, you know, the original years of uh, Shelley Long, that like, it was kind of almost impossible to fulfill all of their expectations. Like everybody wanted something and a series finale can only do so much, right? There's always going to be somebody who's disappointed. So that was kind of my introduction to that. Like I remember getting to school the next day and I was like that kid who at lunch, the teachers would talk to about stuff while all the other kids played. And I'd be like, so what did you think about the Cheers finale? And like kind of understanding that weight of expectation, which I think I've always kind of clung to and and kind of um, wrestled with over time. Then I think about something like the X-Files, right? Which you two might have done did you watch the x-files live when it was on television mm. not me mm. it wasn't it was dubbed two years later <laughs> oh. like two how was behind. the dubbed x-files oh it was it was awkward <laughs> like it was really awkward you know mm. because you know there was a lot of like flirting that would be mistranslated it's <laughs> not good like in later life i realized that oh they were flirting yeah you know but yeah it's not Plus, X-Files had a lot of puns, like verbal puns on language and oh. things that I have to wonder. I've never tried watching it in French. I should try sometimes to see if it, like, works at all in another language. Mm-hmm. No, mm. it didn't. You know, it was just a, like an <laughs> alien shoot him up. That's all it was. <laughs> but I think of that in terms of finale, because I think that's when I graduated to having, like, my own set of expectations every mm. season. And, like, how X-Files always tried to do this big shock every season. Mm. X-Files was not one, like Tyler said, that they would try to like recontextualize it for you. X-Files was always trying to like totally break you at the end of the season <laughs> and change everything. <laughs> I think that's what TV was back then because it's like you yeah. have to shock people, right? Or so that you come like, back you know, and watch the next season. Yeah, like I know. I mean, now I think we are smarter as viewers so you can't grab us anymore. Yeah. We're on to you, writers. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move on into our discussion of Uncanny X-Men 37. And we ended the last issue, speaking of shocking cliffhangers, the X-Men just disappeared. Like, what the heck? Jean seemingly was cured. They were at her parents' house and they just blipped. And it turns out that they were teleported onto the bridge of a Shi'ar ship who has come to fetch them in Earth's orbit because of all of the destruction that Phoenix has wrought. And uh, this is basically Lilandra, despite her wanting to be, have allegiance to Xavier, despite her wanting to have allegiance to the X-Men, who she's grown to love, realizes that as the Empress, it is her job to hold the Phoenix to account. 
Bria, what did you think about that as the development that kind of spurs on this climax to the Dark Phoenix saga? I was a little underwhelmed how easily Phoenix was defeated in Air Code in the one before, the issue before. It's like, yeah. oh my god, we can't take care of her. Oh, it's okay, we're taking care of her. And like, mm, okay, like, you know. So uh, I think, that, I mean, it does make sense because, you know, this is like the only um, intergalactic authority we have seen so far. So that has been set up. And then, you know, she, like, Phoenix did killed by billion people or beings so someone has to hold them responsible and as the only like you know it kind of makes sense the map like you know story-wise that yeah the x-men put her on the throne and now she's going to be the be the authority um i just do want to say that i really this is the corniest thing and then it's like a, such a stereotype but i always love it when like the book or the issue opens with all the people are showing up in the same screen. Everyone has something to say. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know whether it's a Marvel thing. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen, I, I don't, I haven't read a lot of DC, DC team books. But the thing is like, every time there's a team, like they're all like someone has saying something and I'm like, ugh. But it's like, it always brings me joy. <laughs> because you know, can, can you imagine like in real life you'll do that? You'll just stuck in one pose and then everyone say their piece. That's just so awkward. Yeah, well, everybody's like, yeah, but I think it's like, I, I'm like it's okay. It's, well, it's very an illusion of comics, right? Like in reality, yeah, all those yeah. people are shifting and whatever, and they're all kind of like looking around. But in comics, mm-hmm. you just get this appearance that they're all standing in freeze frame. They're like, "What do you think? Yeah. I don't know. Where are we?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's almost like very Scooby Doo, where they're like, "Yeah, exactly." Yeah. So it's, it always brings me joy, you know, especially Professor X is like on like you know uh, Rasputin's, uh, sorry, Colossus's lap. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> So anyway, I just wanted to say that. Tyler, what have you always thought about this setup, that it's Lalandra ultimately who creates the climax for us artificially by putting the Phoenix on trial? I mean, this is the first X-Men story I've ever read. And it is the second comic story I've ever read. So to me, it was like, oh man, this is huge. And like, I, I don't know, um, like at that time when I first read it, like, oh, how the Shi'ar is, you know, in the in the greater um, cosmic environment of Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not know that it was a purely X Men thing, mm-hmm. and that and the Shi'ar has, you know, will. Um, I mean, eventually they will play a bigger role in 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 the whole tapestry of like Marvel universe. But um, at this point in time, I think they don't appear elsewhere except no. X Men. Yeah, so I did not know. Yeah, so so for me, I I thought like you know this was this is big, and I I I mean you know when I first read it, I did not know where it is going, so I was like, oh okay, what is happening, and and then and then of course like who is that ball guy you know that appears on page one, like you know I was like at that time I was like oh okay. Wow, there's a lot. Yeah, of, the Watcher uh, does not make any sense to you if you've never read yeah. Marvel comics. No, I'm he's not. a very like Fantastic Four kind of phenomenon mm-hmm. at this point in time. So if yeah. you haven't read it, like you're like, who is yeah. this giant toddler in a dress? What is this? <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> he later does look on, like I think Professor X, though. Right? Like, are they related? <laughs> yeah. I think I'm... No, but he's, Watcher yeah. has different eyebrows, though. Yeah, yeah, and his head is like you know, it's like a bobble head. <laughs> And then, uh, and like then, I mean, later, on, yeah. So later on, I realized that oh, 
like this is another shorthand that Claremont sometimes use that oh something huge has happened right. uh, and not just Claremont I think a lot of the Marvel Marvel writers will do that like oh mm. your two is, is here to watch this event unfold so something major is supposed to happen like you know at this point in time so so I thought it was it was um I mean for me it was like okay you know initially it's just like okay this is just someone park it aside and then let's go on to the next story. I mean, go on to the to the last chapter. But um, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I my thoughts was like, okay, you know, someone intergalactic has to take care of this situation, and it makes sense for me in the story that this is the only intergalactic uh, empire that we've ever met, and so Shiar would be natural to it. And I, I did not notice until um several weeks later that the Kree and the screws are also involved because mm-hmm. again i have they no just idea seem made they up are. to me at the time yeah like, i have a really i'll go into my story in a second but i was like oh they made up a bunch of green aliens like i didn't yeah. know that they were the established alien races of the marvel universe that was completely lost on me yeah well you know much like tyler this was at the time not the first x-men story i'd read but certainly the earliest and I had been maybe reading for like a year at this point from when Claremont departs. So I had missed the Lalandra stuff that had happened just prior in like 275. So I maybe had an inkling of who she was, but this was my first exposure to her. I hadn't seen her whole romance and everything with Xavier. And I thought she was like badass. I was like, here's this woman who's apparently the queen of the galaxy. She's got this cool metal headdress and she's all in this metal armor. And even though she's clearly very compassionate and has a relationship with this people these people she's like i'm still gonna put you to death like i just i think this is why i really like her i know that a lot of people kind of eye roll at her don't really love all the shiar plots but i just have a long time love of shiar plots Mm -hmm. i think because this was my intro and they're really cool here uh but then also the same thing as tyler like i just thought the kree supreme intelligence and the scroll queen were completely fabricated in that moment when in reality these two emissaries of theirs that are there to keep watch become a major story element that come back again and again and we're just referenced an empire actually mm-hmm. so um it's it's a thing so we get past this initial moment and and she's basically just ready to sentence the x-men to death like right then and there and xavier's like no we challenge you to a, do a challenge and uh <laughs> and so they so they have to he, they kind of all become aware of what he's challenged them to and they mm-hmm. kind of all go off to prepare and we have this very interesting sequence of kind of one page and half page shots of all of them and the things that they're contemplating now i've you know taken notes of all of them and some of them stick out to me more than others tyler mm-hmm. is there one more than others for you that that really stuck out um i mean for me i think uh the there is a there is this purity from Colossus. Yeah. He doesn't even think about the, like, he doesn't even have the thought that, okay, maybe we shouldn't defend her. He's like, she's a friend. I'm going to help her. End of story. And that sort of um, stuck out really um, differently from several of the, the other characters who are slightly older and slightly more mature and kind of understand the complexity of the issue the the situation whereas colossus being the youngest one here at this point in time he's like oh yeah she's a friend i'm gonna help her so i thought like um i mean i thought this this is the part where i thought claremont shines um and he he really delves into each character and and talk about it and 
like um in some ways he choreographed the ending with these small snippets, small mm. scenes here. Yeah. The gravity of the situation is sort of like kind of becoming clear to us right now. What about you, Freeha? Is there one of these solo sequences that stuck out more than others to you? Um, I think like in I mean I'm going to talk about the sequences, but I think the initially the one that really um, made me laugh because we kind of talked about it is that Professor Xavier still continuing to make decisions for them <laughs> without asking them. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, we're going to challenge you to a fight. It's yeah. Like, uh, but yeah, we, we didn't ask for that. Like, you know, I think, and I think Beast talks about that. Yeah, Beast. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the se- different sequence, I think the one that kind of stuck out to me is like Nightcrawlers because I often forget that he's German. And then the fact that when he was in circus, it makes sense. There will be people who have survived concentration camp to be now integrated back into like, you know, normal life. And he met them. And I think there was that, uh, that, like, you know, he was talking about that. How can I uh, be mad at those people, but then be okay with Jean? Like, you know, so that was kind of like the one that kind of stuck out uh, more. And then um, also Wolverine with his hairy, Backside. Because he was taking uh, a shower. I know. I know he was taking a shower. But my God, there was so many hair in that <laughs> the whole half page. I think it was more hair than in my head. Um, and no, I mean, the thing is, like, he was he was saying that. So I, I kind of read it last time. Like, you know, when I read it last time, I'm like, you know, I know Gene more than anyone. I'm like, no, you don't. You know, but then in retrospect, I think he's talking about Gene not being in control and right the nature of Gene the nature yeah the dual nature yeah exactly and then I think that kind of like stuck a little bit it's like oh okay we're seeing these aspect of it which at that Mm -hmm. time we don't know this Wolverine this side Mm -hmm. of Wolverine so we it's it's being planted over here so those are the two and also I think this is the first panel of him meditating Mm. oh he's meditating. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I was just too taken aback by all the hair, you guys. But yeah. Um, and then the third thing, this is also where Beast's love for green-haired ladies started. Right? Like, you know, he, was, Hello. he was like, yeah, it was like, my star and got us. Like, you know, I always think Beast has an English accent, even though, you know. Uh, but it's like, this is where it all started. I'm like, yeah, since then, he's always always been about green-haired ladies. Like, well, in, in a Cheers like, connection, I always, even before the movie, I've always thought of Beast as having Kelsey Grammer's <laughs> voice. Because Kelsey oh, really? Grammer has that, I think it, it's almost like that mid-Atlantic accent where it's so proper that it's almost imitating a, a British accent, which there's linguistic reasons for that. But it's this very proper way of saying all of your words. And like, that's exactly how I always think of Beast talking. So I, I do too. Yeah. I think it's so, really... Oh, so ahead. those are the things, no, no, I was saying those are the things that popped out. Uh, to me that is like the green-haired lady (laughs) well you know i probably should have mentioned at the start we are going to also be talking about phoenix the untold story after we get through the actual 137 and i can't help having now read that a few times but but have my idea of these scenes be affected a little bit about what claremont would have written them as originally Mm -hmm. because they're very different and i think he does this thing here where it's a really interesting reflection on philosophy in a couple of different ways. The philosophy of, of philosophy of morality, the philosophy of personal responsibility, the philosophy of love. And he's kind of showing how each of the X-Men kind of orient themselves. And I think you've hit some of the really interesting ones that I probably would have talked about. And the only one neither of you have mentioned so far is one of the most interesting, which is Storm. 
And Storm reflects that she's so unhappy, basically. She's like, this X-Men stuff is miserable. But they're my friends. And as somebody with this power, I have a greater moral duty. And then even as she's saying that she has a greater, greater moral duty due to her power, even though she's saying she abhors the Phoenix and everything that it stands for, that her love for Jean as a beloved sister actually ranks even higher than her moral duty as someone with a power. So as usual, I think Claremont kind of gives Storm the most clarity out of everybody. Everybody's got a piece of it. Nightcrawler's talking about the morality and, and how it compares to the Holocaust. Night, you know, Colossus is talking about the purity of love. Storm kind of has the whole picture here, which is, um, you know, Storm... Storm um, can see the that she's got a responsibility, but there's no greater responsibility than your responsibility to other people. It's very interesting, though. It's like, despite all of them having different thoughts and different things, um, I actually ended up really appreciating the fact that they all banded together for Jean at the end of it. Like, you know, it really didn't matter where they were coming from or what they thought about the whole things and stuff. And I think that was kind of um, like, you know, if, as of right now, we haven't necessarily seen it like, oh, mutants banding together because they're mutants and stuff like that. But it just kind of like a, I felt like a starting point. Like, you know, you have to like because there's very few of us and we are kind of bonded because of who we are and we have to stick together. Um even though we don't necessarily agree with some of these things, yeah. including us being in this challenge thing. Yeah, even Cyclops is like, oh yeah, I can understand like Lilandra's um choice, like what she's oh, Cyclops. doing. Because he's a leader. So uh, he yeah, can, as a leader. Yeah, but, as the leader. Yeah. So it's like, like Yeah, but it was interesting. And what what about the choice of like um Jean choosing Marvel Girl costume? Okay, so well, certainly I know Hickman is a fan. <laughs> right. So the thing is, I actually like to that point. This is one of the one of the status quo question that I have is that, and then we're gonna talk about Jean a little bit because I have some thoughts about this character. Is like it felt like this is her happiest costume. Like she always picks that as her happy, like this is when life was simpler for her. That everything was like mm. more going, you know, in a in a good direction or like, you know, things are just working out for her. And then that's why she kind of somehow connect herself to that costume. And I'm like, is that what it is? I think there's certainly an element of that. I mean, I mean, she even says in that moment, yeah. you know, she's she's going to return to when she was happiest. I It's kind of weird to me, though, because, like, was she really happiest? Like, in this, you know, as the student doing these Silver Age adventures? I guess at this point she was. But if we think about, like, the modern day of X-Men, you know, like, was she really the happiest now as opposed to, like, I don't know, during X-Factor or during yeah. the Blue and Gold era? So it's kind of like it works in this moment. But then I do think sometimes... Sometimes people make a misstep of thinking that Jean is always nostalgic for her teenage mm. years when it just doesn't make sense to me anymore. Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, that's that's the thing which I was kind of um, like, do we buy it? You know, at this, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I agree with Peter that um, at this juncture of, of, of Jean, um, it, it certainly is, I think, um, you know, plays into that 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 whole um i'm happier i'm le i'm i'm more carefree you know at that you know in that point in time compared to this 
especially since she just committed genocide of like <laughs> an entire population of broccoli and asparagus people. <laughs> broccoli, um, and but the thing is that the uh, costume does change twice more. Mm-hmm. Like she changes that costume very fast. Like, yeah, she know, she changed. She, she yeah, changed as, a as a progression, as a progression, exactly. Yeah. Well, so um, and it's also so, yeah, just but, an authorial device from Claremont to be like, I don't want you to think of Jean as either of these phoenixes for a while. We'll come back mm-hmm. to that, but like, I need I need you to have the purity of intent here of not thinking about her post one hundred. You know, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. potentially, yeah. But it, I mean, that's one of the things where it's like. As of right now, and you know, I was like, okay, what is Jean? Like, what what's her what's her what what does she want? You know, so if she tells me, this is like one of the times that she actually said something that she was trying to do, and then I was like, yeah, girl, okay, if that frilly dress makes you happy, go wear it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, this this type of scenes is going to come is 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 kind of a hallmark of X Men. Because we, we, we there there is another one that I remember distinctively uh, happening. And 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 this is like the calm before the storm moments, which I thought was like um you know, Claremont does these scenes pretty well, actually, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Well, we roll from this into their challenge on the moon, which ultimately it's one of those things that when I reread that I'm so excited for it to start and it's so small in 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 retrospect, compared to how it looms in my memory. You know, the characters are taken out very easily. None of them really do anything very remarkable or memorable, with the exception of Wolverine crashing into the Watcher's house for a moment, and the Watcher taking him on a journey through time before being like, get out of my house, you smelly little man. But basically, you know, the Siar Guard outflanks them in every possible way, which isn't a shock Mm -hmm. because they acknowledge up front, like this group of people is so much more powerful. And to me, it kind of shows the progression we've been on where first it was kind of all of them throwing themselves at Juggernaut. And then they like squared off against the Shiar Guard and like just barely edged it out. And we've had a couple of more of these confrontations, you know, with um, where they're kind of one-to-one man defense on people. We had it in Alpha Flight and they kind of just squeak it out barely. We had it in the Hellfire Club and it takes them kind of into the second round. So Mm -hmm. I think this is consistent with what we've read so far, that the X-Men, they're superheroes, but they're not um, always winners, especially against a group this powerful and this well-coordinated. So it's not like it's disappointing, but it's always always much smaller than I thought it was going to be. So... To me, it did feel disappointing because I thought that after all of this, this is where they will shine. You thought they'd put up a little bit of a fight? Yeah, because, you know, like, well, we had all these trials and all these times that practices and danger room and stuff. Come on, let's let's make it here. But yeah, but then also there is like, you know, I'm I'm kind of like following Storm everywhere, like, you know, where she's doing and what she's Mm -hmm. up to. This is like another time there was a whip used against her. Mm. I was like, and like three oh. issues. Uh, yeah. Three issues. There's another time there was a whip used in it, and then this is probably the fourth time I saw her being held by her hair. As someone with a long hair, and and that isn't such a gender thing because that's one of the reasons they gained. I think I think we talked about it before, like in the Black Panther movie, how the Dora and the Daja throw their hair wig at. <laughs> <laughs> the thing because it is actually a very gendered thing to use. and there are men in comics with long hair and very yeah. rarely do you never, see that pose yeah. never, never is it that. hercules or superman with a mullet Mm-mm. being held by the hair on a you cover. know it's it's yeah. never the men being held by that it's always the women and then i think there was like a, mm. a, someone other places where it's like someone actually uh, 
Batwoman does that, um, where she's like she uses her hair, so people try to grab her hair, but it's like actually a wig. So yeah. uh-huh. I was like, once again, it's the hair, and then it's her, and mm. then there's a whip. I was like, oh, please, this has been just three issues. <laughs> oh, I know it's three months for the live reader, but I for know. me, yeah. I was like, oh, again, once again. Tyler, what do you think about the quick succession in which the X-Men are eliminated here? I mean, they the 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 fact that they are the underdog here fighting a hopeless fight makes me root for them mm. a lot more. Mm. And I think that might be the intention here um of them being taken out like so quickly. And, you know, and of course, like I mean, I think Burn has an influence. It's like, no, Wolverine will not be taken out that easily. So we have to do something about that first before, you know, at least they put up a, you know, pretty, put up a pretty reasonable fight um, and, and recognize that, you know, he's being fooled. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I, I, I mean, when I read through this, I was, I was like, oh my God, they're losing. What's going to happen? You know, the first time when I read it and yeah. The thing that always occurs to me though, after reflecting on all of those things, and especially when I read this to my daughter, uh, I, I mean, I remember it was so I was like crying by the end. It gets heavy. But the thing that I always think about when as the X-Men quickly get defeated, which her and her, she was like five or six at the time, it's like, oh, they're all getting defeated. And I realized that their struggle was really the moral struggle. Like Claremont already had them defeat what they needed to defeat to get involved in the battle. The battle is is just for show. The struggle here was who are they? Are they superheroes? Are they police officers? Are they a family? And they had to decide that. What happens to them on the moon is kind of immaterial. Like, could he have let one of them win the fight to wind up with Cyclops and, and Jean at the end, that yeah. end before being reawakened? Sure. It wouldn't have changed things too much other than he wanted to give Cyclops and Jean a moment. But I truly think that the struggle here is their internal struggle. And the battle is just window dressing for people who want to see people punch each other. That's that's what I've ultimately decided about this mm-hmm. issue. What do, you, what do you think about that? No, they're nodding listeners like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, uh, no i mean i i think it does make sense but the thing mm. is like when you're reading it in sequentially as i am doing it is like oh again again <laughs> yeah like you know so i think that just kind of takes it off so i wish that we kind of saw them winning before you know what i mean like yeah. if we have seen them winning before then this would have made more like emotional impact mm. for me um but yeah but the, the thing is like uh, the way i was looking at it i'm like yeah sure they have to be defeated because the story needs them to be rather than whether mm. they should have been if mm. that makes sense yeah well i mean they did they did kind of win against the half ass club the second round and they did mm. definitely win against alpha flight but after second trial always you know? Yeah, and, yeah, and, you know and in a lot of the situations they've been in yeah. since they've gotten Jean back from at the beginning of Proteus is like Jean is the deciding factor and Claremont and Burns whole point here is that like Jean is the Phoenix is like a Thor level combatant on like mm. a Fantastic Four level team. And of course, Phoenix shift the scale. So it's almost, and even they had Phoenix the first time they faced off against the guard being a full Phoenix. So it's kind of like necessary from yeah. a plot standpoint for them to be like with normal Jean, they don't have the juice to to pull this off, even though they're, mm. you know, quite uh, well-trained heroes. Yeah. 
which rolls us right. into kind I mean, of that's the, sa- the reason- oh go ahead no no i was just saying that i wish that in the hellfire they took them down first mm. even yeah i would have made this more sad more it would all affecting, work. But more <laughs> yeah right but the thing is like i wish like there was something but anyway sorry for interrupting Well, we roll from here into the second half, which basically Cyclops and Jean get cornered. They have this really nice moment where Jean like raises some dust to give them a moment of privacy. And they're like, we're going to go out fighting, which is like very much that that cover comes from that. Uh, But then it seems as though they've been they've been taken. But then the Phoenix kicks in because no matter what controls Xavier puts on it, no matter how much Jean does want to access it, it's not going to let her go down easily in a fight. It's not going to let her just die. And so then the Phoenix becomes reactivated. And so then it becomes everybody versus the Phoenix. And here the Shi'ar guard kind of just recedes because now we get the truly emotional moment of the X-Men deciding if on this third go-round, now fighting the Dark Phoenix, if, and she's not even dark yet. She's still in the green. Yeah. If they truly can kill their friend. And and we have, of all people, Colossus really debating this, which certainly his experience with Proteus weighs heavily, since mm-hmm. he, the most emotional, loving, youngest one, was previously used as their murder weapon. And here Wolverine's willing to do it again in low gravity by tossing Colossus at Jean. But at the last moment, he can't bring himself to do it. What do you think? I know we you love Colossus over there, Tyler. What do you think about this moment for Colossus? I mean, this is just like, I mean, this is just him, right? Because from this point onwards, all the way until, you know, um, no spoilers, but until the very first crossover of, um, of, 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 of the X-Men ever, um, the very first one, he, he was, I mean, he, he maintained this, this purity where Mm -hmm. he refused to, you know, to do certain things. And you know, definitely refusing to kill is one of the top things that he he refuses to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it is interesting, and I think, um, and I think Wolverine is being a coward because he know he couldn't do it, so he's like, yeah, let me throw you down, and 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 you can do the deed. Um, but you know, he he should realize that. I mean, maybe deep down, Wolverine is like, you know, I I really don't want to kill her, but um. I know that if I'm the one being thrown, I would. Um, so let me try. Let me do. Let me use someone who will never kill her and 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 throw Colossus at her. So, Freya. Uh, I mean, yeah. Until this day, I don't understand why Wolverine likes her. Like, I mean, you know, that he kind of professed her love for. Her. I'm like, okay, like, why? Like, you know. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think I think this is like. I'll reserve my comment until we get to the very end All because right. I have some thoughts like about what happens at the end. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'll pitch it right to you in a moment. I would just say this is maybe the one time that I kind of understand how Wolverine feels about Jean. And it goes back to what he was saying in his room about her, that Jean has a duality to her, not only with the Phoenix, but in general, like Jean is 
psychic and can read everybody's minds is so powerful as a telekinetic, but Jean kind of leads with her compassion all the time. And Wolverine like is attracted to that and admires that because he understands that if Jean just wanted to be a killer, she could. And this is reflected years later in the Age of Apocalypse when Wolverine and Jean are basically a team and they're like totally ruthless. Age, Age of Apocalypse Jean is totally ruthless and he's more like the, she's more like the other half of Wolverine. And so this is like the one issue, even though Wolverine really plays a backseat in most of this issue, that I actually kind of get it because I think it tells me something about Jean herself that I don't think is always obvious to me as a reader, that Jean is always actively choosing compassion in the way that Wolverine is actively trying to suppress his rage. And I and I feel like Claremont like gets me right there for a moment, even though we know I'm usually an anti-Logan and Jean uh, combatant. But in this moment, I kind of understand it. And, and I wish that, that, like, you know, what you said, like, actually makes sense completely. But I wish it wasn't a romantic undertone. Like, I yeah, wish it yeah. was just uh, equal, um, like, equal seeing another equal. Like, and that, the fact that they kind of make it a romantic really pisses me off, really makes it creepy, given that the age difference between the disc two characters is just like, ugh. And also just like, like let men and women be friends. This is definitely yeah. a thing that like just, it was yeah. so hard to get like a male-female friendship in the Silver and Early Bronze Age in, in Marvel comic books, unless they were like brother and sister. Like it really, if you think through it, like Storm's platonic love for Colossus and Nightcrawler is actually one of the really remarkable things about this run because they are so close and it is so non-romantic. Of course, future writers ruin that by trying to make it romantic sometimes because they don't even get it but I think yeah. that that's part of what makes Storm such a fascinating character and Colossus too mm -hmm. yeah I mean that's that's the that's the reason because I think like you know what you said actually makes sense given that the the, the he's kind of himself has a very dark past which hasn't come up yet but then in all of that it kind of makes like it's all written there like and like you know and all of that but then they make it like a romantic oh I only saw her once and then I'm it's like ew Cut it out. <laughs> well, now we have one of the most famous scenes in all of comics, uh, where Jean backs herself into this, you know, garage full of alien machinery, and ultimately is the one who puts an end to the Phoenix. I have so many thoughts in this scene, but I've been living with them in my head for decades now. So I'd love to start with Faria as the person who's newest to it, and then Tyler, and then I'll share my thoughts as well. What do you think about the Phoenix's epic? death scene here at her own hand so we talked about it before it's like trope you know how trope when it's overused it ends up being losing its meaning and just being like another addition of that trope mm -hmm. so the thing is like this kind of falls into another thing where it's like i could not for like i and i'm maybe because i haven't read enough comics i could not think about a single overpowered male making that decision. I just could not. It's only, I feel like women makes this decision of committing suicide. This was a suicide. We're gonna call it what it is, just to stop it. And then this is also the third time I've seen in my very limited time that I've read Jean that she quit something. You know, the other two times, we're gonna talk about it later. But then this is, so I was like, really? that's it like you know it, it's just going to end like this i was very disappointed not necessarily on gene but because how writers are writing like you know i was like okay it, this this is how it is like you know because it's kind of sexy to have a beautiful woman all powerful but then we're just gonna 
make it her decision. At least, thank God, this is her decision uh, to, you know, like, like, okay, I'm just going to quit. And, you know, you don't have to deal with it. No one has to make any decision, you know. So, I don't know. I mean, I was just kind of upset about that. I was, I was still sad, but mm-hmm. for different reason than maybe Tyler. I mean, the the difference for me is when I first read it. Um, you know, um, this is this is basically a love story that did not end well, and you know, um, I think when I read it, I was twelve years old. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, there is definitely an emotional impact there that um, probably, you know, given that I know what happened afterwards, um, doesn't hit me so hard now when I, you know, I mean, second and third reread, is it, it feels a bit different. Um, but um, at that point, I remember when I first read it, I was like, oh, man, I was really sad because, you know, it's like um, the lovers cannot be together. And... And um, y- you, I-, I guess when I was younger, I sort of so-called um, hold on to a, a a more romantic notions of relationship and that, you know, things like that um, makes me sad. Um, I I mean, when Fariha mentioned about powerful women, uh, you know, um, the trope of that, I was trying to think of, like, is there a counter example of, uh, of, 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 of a male character that got too powerful and then had to um have to um you know kill himself um i don't quite remember if i mean i couldn't think of one character off the top of my head um yeah i mean i, I, I mean we have well it it exists in fiction because it's yeah. a po- it's a possible version of the hero's journey right sometimes the hero's yeah. journey is kind of has the return to normalcy at the end and sometimes it has sacrifice at the end mm-hmm. and so d- there are many many versions in fiction but i think the big thing that we're stuck on here is that in comics the big starring person so, who's usually a male sometimes sacrifices himself for the greater good but doesn't frequently sacrifice himself because of his own power being out of control. Later, we get to see a lot of that. Up to this point, there had not been Mm. a lot of that. Like, I think if we look in more modern contexts, there's a lot of characters. I mean, Marvel just makes it basically every event. Some guy throws themselves on the sword because everything went too wrong or whatever. It's just become even more of a trope than it was. But thinking about this in terms of when I read it, which probably was in 1992, I already had knowledge of Star Wars. And when I read this, knowing that this came before Star Wars, I'm like, oh, this is like the better Darth Vader story. Not to get into too many Star Wars spoilers, but, you know, Darth Vader. Um, Because he's of two minds in a way, and it takes him kind of going against the one mind to be a part of the other mind to really get to the resolution that we get to at the end of The Return of the Jedi. And Mm -hmm. here we have a much smaller story of Jean um, not really doing it for anybody else. It's not because she's got a son. It's not because any of these other things. It's because Jean kind of recognizes that the dark side of her is so dangerous and so threatening that the compassionate side of her uh, says, like, I can't allow this to exist in the universe anymore, which 
unfortunately is super tied up with the behind the scenes of this. Because there's this question of, is it Gene? Was it meant to be Gene? Should it have been Gene? Is it now Gene in our retroactive look at continuity? Which we'll get into with the untold story. But I was reading from the perspective of having Gene back and knowing like, oh no, this is just one version of Gene that's going to die. It's not like the permanent Gene. And like then, even though there's these tropes, even though it's women who sacrifice themselves often, it kind of made sense to me because it was the best way to end the Phoenix plot that like the part of Phoenix that is Gene would never let the dark phoenix do what it can do now that she's seen what it's capable of. So to me, so it's, it's inextricably li- linked with, with Darth Vader because that's how I came to it as a kid. Was that for you? Right, but I was... No, I was just thinking that why doesn't she run away? Like, you know, because that's how kind of... Because I was thinking about it more from... Um, I connect... You connect Jean to uh, Darth Vader. I connect a Phoenix to Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen. Ooh, well, that's another great... And again, which came after this and may have been influenced by this. But talk more about that. Dr. Manhattan realizes how much powerful he is and his solution to that. And it also came out of like... Well, it didn't necessarily come out of compassion. It's mostly like just logic that I'm just going to separate myself right. from the civilization. So I was kind of thinking about them, why couldn't that it be that? <laughs> why couldn't it be like, oh, I'm going to separate myself and I'm going to get a hold of this and then I'm going to come back. You know? But but the, the main thing here is that Jean, Jean the person, knows that she can never hold back Phoenix. And when yeah. she becomes Phoenix and then the eventual path leads to Dark Phoenix, is it becomes even... I mean, it, it becomes even more impossible because... Um, you know, as a force, the phoenix is um amoral, right? It does what it have to do and just do it. It doesn't really care if it's doing good or doing bad by you know um human mutant or you know some cosmic being standards. So so I think that's where the conundrum. I think that's that's where. The issue comes when, you know, you don't, if she doesn't die, like, you know, h- how are we going to resolve this, this thing? That's what well, I just said. Just run away. Yeah. Well, look, we're, we're going to come back to that. We're going to talk about Phoenix, the untold story, yeah. which has some of the behind the scenes. But before we do, because of what Freya brought up here, I think we should talk about the backup in classic X-Men 43. Because mm-hmm. Freya, and this came out in 1990, it's Claremont. And yeah. Freya, I, when I read this, not knowing you were going to make that comment, because that was not in our notes for the episode, I was like, oh, here's Claremont doing a Dr. Manhattan riff <laughs> with Jean. I mean, where he, where you, where he, and also a Sandman riff. And you are an expert mm-hmm. on on Sandman. Because right. here, here's Jean as the Dark Phoenix, or just Phoenix, is seen with death as a personification. And she's really struggling with so many different things. Am I Jean? Am I dead? Am I the Phoenix? But also struggling with hey, I thought the phoenix was death. And having death be like, well, you're something that's a little bit more complex um, than something as one-sided as living or dying because you're creation or destruction, which is almost like um, a, like a congruent or a perpendicular access mm-hmm. to life life and death, you know? Yeah. And, right. uh, and it's very Dr. Manhattan. So what did you think about 43? Do you think that gave you some of that thing you were, you were looking for? I just want to say something. Um, nothing, nothing about the story, but related to the story. So when I brought the classic Omni to Claremont to sign, he uh-huh. actually flipped through the book and, and purposely came to this story. And then he told me the backstory about this whole thing. Which I T- promptly forgotten. What? 
<laughs> Tyler. Damn. What the hell? <laughs> because because <laughs> what? Because I, I can't remember. I can't remember. I mean, it's not the first time I met him. I think it's the second time I met him. But I'm still a little bit starstruck. So, so he 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 went on and on and on about this. And for some reason, I don't remember what he said about this story. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no, this is ah. Uh, when I read that, I'm like, Daddy Clarimore wrote to watch to read Watchmen. It's like I could do this better. Like, oh. <laughs> and then he just because I genuinely looked up. Like because when I was reading one thirty seven, I'm like, Ugh, Doctor Manhattan wouldn't have done this. And then I, <laughs> then I looked, at, then I read forty three. I'm like, Hey, when did this came out? <laughs> and then I looked up. I'm like, mm, Like, you know, you're just going back and forth there. Um, no, I mean, so not knowing what comes after, or you know, what what how this kind of gets um, gets settled. I I really liked that and the like, like I really liked that thing and that was like for the first time I felt like this is Jean like you know there is more about Jean that you know we can we don't know yet because I I don't know yet you guys probably do because you have read it and then I was like I wish there was more of her talking and walking us through what it felt to be dark phoenix what it what it felt like to have that much power and all of that that is not necessarily have anything to do with stupid mastermind or her in a vacation in Greece like you know mm. I wish there was mm. like a more about it and I was like oh, and you know and it was like also that uh, how she got into the whole mind of those broccoli people and then you know all of that was very like you know scary and I mean in very scary and very like you know emotionally you know jarring because you know she's accused of these killing these people and she was judged so quickly and then now she gets to be Play, like you know just a school student in like you know actually in the mind of one of them which was like very you know and then also death personified i'm like dc got it better they got a better death than this guy <laughs> it's I don't so know if he comes back later but i don't i don't know if we see construction worker death usually marvel death is also a woman and just like dc yeah. Death. Yeah. but uh you know as you're talking it made me spoilers for watchmen but it yeah. really made me think about oh, how... We didn't necessarily say what. No, but I'm, like, I'm about to spoil Watchmen. I, yeah. it's kind of, now I'm going to spoil Watchmen. Uh, because if you think of the end of Watchmen, it really... Now I kind of want to go and see if, if Alan Moore has ever talked about X-Men and Dark Phoenix. Because it kind of does mirror this. But it's, it's that Rorschach kind of sets it up. Like, Dr. Manhattan himself never is the one that commits genocide, but we're led to believe that Dr. Manhattan maybe has committed some form of, of genocide. Spoilers for Watchmen, I warned you. And then um, Rorschach, or not Rorschach, if I said, I, I mean the other one. What's his name? Um, blonde. David Bowie. Ozymandias. Ozymandias, yeah. thank Oza, you. I didn't Oza know Mandias. Rorschach Oza before. Ozymandias. And then Ozymandias backs Dr. Manhattan into a similar situation that Gene is backed into. And the only difference is Dr. Manhattan is like, you ninny, I'm omnipotent and I'm just going to leave this game. Exactly. Like as somebody omnipotent, exactly. I have the ability to just say goodbye to you by Michelle Branch and I'm leaving. And, uh, and that's the difference. And so it's really interesting to kind of think of whether it was or not that Moore is writing the response to Phoenix in a way in Watchmen. And then Claremont's being like, well, that's um, really basic because you didn't have Dr. Manhattan be anybody but himself. So then here's Claremont like responding to Moore by being like, Gene's <laughs> empathetic. That's what Dr. Manhattan didn't have. And it's almost like a conversation no, between the Dr. two works. Dr. Manhattan is 100% a Phoenix uh, response. 
Is he? There's I don't more, know canonically if he No, is. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Can, yeah. But the thing yeah. is, like, more, more experts what, don't come for us. That is yeah, not what we're trying to do here. No, no. But def- depending on when it came out, what tropes were available, Phoenix was the only other trope that was available that connects with a, a person dying, coming back from dead with more power. That well, I mean, it's a thing in Pulp Fiction, but I think in comic books, it mm. probably was yeah. the, the biggest yeah. one no, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, but because if you think about comedian Rorschach, how they were like equivalent, there's like equivalency and they're just yeah. like worse version of those. So Dr. Manhattan, I don't know if there's anyone else, anything else that's there that portrays that. Tyler Free and I have been going off for a while. What, what, what are you doing over there? What are you thinking? I mean, do you want to Watchmen then? Trying yeah. to remember, trying to remember what happened in that conversation yeah. with Claremont. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I definitely remember that he says is. I mean, it's kind of like you know the 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 the, the place between life and death, you know, heaven and heaven and hell, or something like that. Um, but you know, I I don't want to paraphrase him because I honestly do not remember what he said, mm-hmm. but. I think it was like I think he was really excited about this story. This story. So so Freya, yeah, next next time you meet him, you should bring the Omni and just like go ahead. Is this a response? See if you to can just guide Adam him Moore? into it and he'll say <laughs> yeah, the same I, I, thing. I, I hope that <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I hope that he comes to cons because you know he's he's more on the older side, so I don't know when yeah. he's going ever gonna come to a con again. That's because true. you know, con yeah. is like a petri dish of bacteria even before even before COVID yeah yeah so So, um I I I really think reading that story in 43 is worthwhile I think if you go into it thinking that it's gonna reveal all about Phoenix or explain the Phoenix it's not that it it reminds me of Sandman number eight it's a it's just a little moment Mm -hmm. of life and death and and we could I'm sure Free could give us a whole video essay on how it relates to Sandman but we got to keep it so um (laughs) So here's the thing. This issue, 137, came out in June of 1980. And there's a huge behind-the-scenes story in it. And is told, relayed via a transcript of an actual conversation in Phoenix the Untold Story, which is the book as it was originally going to ship before Jim Shooter realized that the Broccoli people had been genocided and that he yeah. needed Jean Grey to pay. So the, this, as the story goes, and I'll set this up a little, and I've, I've read it many times, so I'm, of course, interested to hear Faria react is that Shooter approved plots, but he wasn't the kind of editor who was like, you've got to show me every word of every issue. And if he had a problem with it, he would see it on press and he would come to you and be like, you know, you could have done this a little differently. Which I actually kind of like the idea of a manager being like that. Like, he's Mm -hmm. not trying to make you feel shame for doing it badly. He's like, I'd let you do the thing that you did. Next time, try a little better. Unfortunately, in this instance, he was like, the thing that you did wrong was had your title, one of your title characters commit genocide. And I'm not sure that you can just let her off scot-free because Claremont Byrne originally was going to have Jean kind of psychically lobotomized, which we can see in Phoenix the Untold Story, to have her powers removed and then give her a much longer arc of coming to terms with what happened with Phoenix. So if, if this feels abrupt to you, it's because it literally was abrupt. Shooter gave them like a weekend basically to re-script it because Byrne had three days to redraw it. To redraw and, it. and there's this amazing conversation with them, Terry Austin, Tom Orzakowski, uh, uh, and Jim Salakrup and Louise Simonson all talking about how this went down. It's absolutely must read reading if you are a fan of this period of X-Men. But then the other thing that's not mentioned in there that I'll throw in in case you two didn't know about it was 
fans were really upset about this everything. They don't they didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. They just know that they killed Gene. And this was in the same frame as, you know, just a few months after this was released in June of 1980, John Lennon was murdered on the street in in New York City and Claremont was getting like death threats at the Marvel offices that they had to refer to the FBI about some of these developments that were happening in X-Men at this mm. time starting around the time of Dark Phoenix and they were taking it very very seriously because like it seems like something real that could really happen. So there, there's kind of this push and pull of internally, you know, Jim Shooter being like, well, you can't have Hitler in your comic book, more, more or less. And then you have also the external, like, how dare you kill Gene response from fans, which now would just yeah. go on Twitter and tell you to kill yourself. But at the time you had to send a letter, letter through the U.S. Postal Service and the FBI mm-hmm. can get involved. So now that I've kind of framed all of that, Freya, what is your reaction to this other version of what could have happened to Gene and how all the men behind the scenes are pulling the strings while Louise Simonson is left in to go and mop up the, the mess at the end of the weekend. So was it Louise Simonson or was it another? No, no it's Louise Jones. Jones oh, before she got married. Yeah. Oh, that was before she got married. Yeah, so that's oh, the sorry, that was critical last information. Name. Yeah, yeah, that's okay, the last name. Because when I read that, I was like, who are you? Louise, what are Louise you Jones. doing nowadays? Like, you know, um, so... <laughs> So when I read that, I was like, okay, great. But in your whole universe, you also have Galactus. Let's not forget that. Right. Like, you know, Galactus literally... Which some of them bring up. Like, hello, Galactus exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Galactus exists. And then you have uh, Silver Surfer, who is also guilty, but then he gets to have penance. Like, he gets to repent. And right. But then, oh, God forbid, the women done, done it, right? So I'm like, okay, so what was the initial one? Then when I read the untold story, I'm like, no, sense, blah, 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 go back, <laughs> go back. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, I am all about Dr. Manhattan style, banish her and then let her figure out mm-hmm. death is the next one. But whatever was on the untold story, if yeah. that was what was published, I would never touch Clara again i would have like i would have just walked away i'm like you guys all suck you guys can stay with your paramount i'm done i'm not doing this no you can't make me so i'm glad at least that wasn't published mm. because yeah ish like you know and it, 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 no uh-uh no mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was it was genuinely literally like bleep go back like yeah. you know, that, that that like you know that meme where it says upgrade and it's like no go back like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, so that was my reaction to it. I'm like, uh-uh, mm. let's not do that. Not at all. Well, no. we'll come back a little bit to that conversation that they have in the, in the back material, but let's talk yeah. a little bit about your reaction, Tyler, to to the way it could have been. I mean, it was, it wasn't good at all. <laughs> and I mean, uh, and I think my, my, my reaction to that was, um, there's a lack of um, emotion. Yes. To the original story. The emotional um, impact is not there. So that, to me, that is like, um, yeah, yeah, it doesn't hit as hard. Um, I And that, that, I mean, if we are going to go back and talk about the changes that Kramon made, right? I think he made a lot of changes. And the thing that I think he improved on the second take was the reflective part. Yes. which makes everything so more poignant and 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 hits the character notes pretty um you know well 
as opposed to the very first one where people are just randomly thinking about different things. Um, yeah, but then, of course, when it comes to the fight scene, he, Claremont, just being Claremont, has to over-explain things. So I was oh. like, he can't help himself. Then, so you know... <laughs> The original script actually, I think, is more attuned to the modern way of telling stories than his rewrite. Uh, yeah, but so um, yeah. You win some, you lose some, you know. Yeah. But I'm glad that the winning was better. Um, no, and but the thing is, here's the thing: the the original story could have been actually good if it was Jean's choice. If she chose, it's like okay, okay. you know what? Forget all the fight. Forget all of that. It's like. There, there could have been just a tribunal where it's like, you're guilty. It's like, okay, I wasn't under, I was under thing. So this is the only way. Let me do it. And then there's like a conversation with all of them. Like she's having conversation with each one of them, why she's choosing, while yeah. others trying to dissuade her from doing yes. making that choice. And mm-hmm. then finally, it was her choice. She was done. And then Scott walking away with no, I mean even that, I mean you know. But even I'm if they had given us a moment of her and Lalandra, right, which was kind of yeah. like missing either way. But if she had had a moment with Lalandra where she where where she confessed to her, she said or she gave Lalandra the idea of, it, of just like I wish I didn't have any of this power at all or whatever. Like if there had been like a seed that had been planted, I think then it would have come across like. Oh, because it's, you know, it's kind of interesting to see like women having power over women for a change in the comic book. Like how many times is the woman Galactus and the woman, the intergalactic empress, right? So there was a chance to do something really interesting if they had had a moment, but instead it just feels like Lalandra kind of like unilaterally deciding, which, which feels really different. You know, you, you all brought up some things that I, this one quote really crystallized for me in the back matter, which is Claremont says, usually every comic book is a first draft. Like you got to get it out. And, and you see it on the stands, and much like Jim Shooter, you criticize yourself after it's out there. Not to say that people don't rewrite and refine, but it's it's not like a term paper where you print it out and you're sitting making corrections. Like, you can make line corrections on it, but you can't really, really rewrite the story unless you're like an asshole in the image age who's relettering a whole comic book after all the art's been put in. Uh, and so... Claremont's like, I love it more, not because it's necessarily the story I wanted to tell, but because it's a second draft and as a second draft, it's better writing. And I I really, really understand that, especially somebody who's been doing a lot of videos with you and videos are inherently a first draft. We only get to say the things once. I only get to edit it once. Then it goes out onto podcasts and YouTube and and there it is. And then a, m- a week later, I'm like, oh, I probably should have taken that part out. Yeah. Uh, and I think to Tyler's point, you know, Claremont found a much deeper philosophy for them all to have. And without those moments of philosophy, which are almost entirely what's different in this issue. And Tyler and mm-hmm. I went panel by panel. Maybe we'll put it on the blog or something, but we went yeah. like word by word to see what was different. All of those moments of morality questions are gone because Shooter hadn't demanded that there be a consequence for Gene. So none of the X-Men were struggling with that because Claremont didn't think he had to address it. It goes to show you, editors can be right sometimes because the story is so much better with all of that morality in it. Plus, Claremont's ending did kind of suck. <laughs> it's, uh, like, you know, I'm not, I, so I is he the one who did the whole weird thing with Captain Marvel? No, Shooter, he, no. Shooter is yes, yeah, Shooter yes. is. So Shooter is the one. So I have no love for him, but this is where I was like, oh, mm. dude, you made at least one good decision in your editorial career, like you know, because well, he's also the at one the top who, of this. Yeah. So I was no, like, I was just saying that he's also the one who decided. A decade later, to bring Jean back. 
Oh, Jean comes back? You guys! Spoiler! <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, so Jim Shooter, and also they talk about how Roger Stern was, like, on the Kill Jean crew. But Shooter is one of the credited writers to Avengers yeah. 200, which is that awful. Uh, and it only came out, hilariously, a, like, a month after this. So here's Shooter being like, I know how to do things well. And then he puts out that total egregious tripe a month later to show that he he really doesn't know. Claremont's definitely which, better at, at, at all of this okay. than Shooter. Shooter just happened to have one good idea in, in this <laughs> sequence of ideas. But the other right. thing I want to bring up... And the thing up, is, he's the... Then, then Claremont was the one who had to correct that problem right. as well. And Claremont was angry. Talk about death threats. Claremont was, like, viciously angry at what they had done. And that's where we got Avengers Annual 10, which if we get back together for a second mm. season, we'll, Faria will get to read yeah. Avengers Annual 10 and Claremont basically just screaming at Jim Shooter via Miss Marvel on the page. Yeah. But the final thing I'll, I'll comment that you all said that I thought was brilliant, Faria, is the best Marvel analog to Gene is Silver Surfer. It is. Silver Surfer has the power cosmic. Yes! Silver Surfer yes! dooms planets. And Silver yes! Surfer's comeuppance. And he's certainly yes! doomed many more millions of people, billions of people than Gene has here. And, mm. and just because he's not the one who actually committed the murder, he's like accessory to manslaughter. And his punishment is, oh, you can't leave Earth's atmosphere. So in a way, you could argue that Claremont's original plan for Gene, where he's going to like lobotomize her forever, was more in line with the kind of consequences Marvel had forced writers to use at that point, because it's actually really similar to what, what Stanley had done with Silver Surfer. So I think I, I don't, it's been a while since that struck me, but actually Silver Surfer is perfect. More so than Galactus, even. Yeah, because so Silver Surfer has humanity yeah. that Galactus doesn't. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So Galactus has to do it because he, it's it's part of like he has to do it because he's or else he's going to die. So mm-hmm. there is no no other reason for like you know. But the thing is, and that's why Silver Surfer is the one who can stop. Like you know, he can stop him, but he yeah. doesn't. And that's why the whole that's why Silver Surfer the character exists, and that's why I love him so much. But also, it's, it's like very, Jean as it's Phoenix. Jean as Phoenix is almost Silver Surfer and Galactus. She's got to mm-hmm. let the Phoenix Combine, have access yeah. to her, lead her somewhere, and then the Phoenix feeds, and then Jean has to live live with it. So she's she's kind of both. Yeah, but we don't. Do we have Jean like you know eighty like you know thirty issues of Jean? We don't. No. So we're angry about it. What do you well, think you, about? Whoa, 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 whoa! Hold on, hold on. Can you say that again? You're angry that we, we want don't to get have you a on the Gene series. Yes, I'm angry because I'm going to talk about this because that's one of the things I want to talk about because mm. I am. Anyway, we'll get there. We'll, no, I think you might be there. The only yeah. other thing that I was going to say was this idea of like Claremont's original plan, which was to take this plot through 150 and that Gene, I mean, Free hasn't read this yet, so I don't think we can really discuss it too much, but that yeah. Gene would pretty much have the space of Kitty and 150 and Magneto would almost kill Gene, but that like, that would have yielded a completely different history of X-Men yeah. because then Magneto would have been more of a villain and et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, it, yeah. it's cute in theory, but I think we got but. the superior product. But now, I mean, we've been all this time, I started in Giants telling Freya how much I love Jean. So I really want to hear where Freya has gotten to with Jean at this point because this is one of the main points we did in this screen. We were seeing Jean in Hawksbox and Freya was like, Jean is boring. And we were, Tyler and I were like, no, no, Jean is great. So here we are at the end of 137 and I want to hear everything you have to say. So so the thing is like, I have like, I have always said it. It's like, it's not like never the character who which, which is boring. It's the writers, you know? Right. And one of the things I am actually like so mad about even after reading this, it's like, I don't know what Jean is because she's beautiful, she's very powerful, and she loves Scott. 
And this is like a three times I've seen her quit something, you know, and this is where I'm giving ample warning about Hotspox and the current status quo. So please stop listening if you're not caught up. So I've seen her quit the council. I've seen her quit X-Force. I have now seen quit her quit life. And that's the, all of this. I don't know what she wants, like what her, like I haven't seen her first person reaction to this. And that's one of the reasons I want there to be a Jean Grey series. Stop boomerang don't care a Jean Grey series where she talks about why she makes the decision she makes what where she's coming from how it changed her and also the fact that I am so mad that for 18 20 years she was not even there as a character like time, talk about time death inversion or talk about time death being old we talked about it before she's one character who lacks who really desperately needs it because everyone else Went, went further but then she was just in limbo for so long and as a modern reader who started with new x-men i have no connection to her mm. i have no connection to what she has gone through what she is capable of other than that really great gene, teen gene series which she was very scared about what she's going to become it's like yeah i'm just gonna become a boring person but that's not the problem it's not her fault it's just the way that she's like you know she's just taken out like mm -hmm. why you know why and that's why i'm just saying that i we need now more than ever forget the moira we can have that later let's just have a jean gray series written by Innocenti. why not <laughs> <laughs> why not <laughs> like you know i'm just saying let's just like i just i I really need that, you know, mm -hmm. because I want to know that why she would be the one not like, I mean, you know, like some of the decisions you have made, it's like it comes up petty. It comes off like she's just quitting, but maybe not. Maybe that's not the reason. Maybe there's other reasons for that. I have no, no, no connection about that. And even here, it's like, okay, I should have, I needed to see what she was feeling like and everything. As of right now, like her, like, as, like I said, her four characteristics are, She's beautiful, she's powerful, she quits, and she loves Scott. And Scott's thing is, he's handsome, he loves G. That's it. And Among and, others. And Wolverine. No, and, and, and Matt. Those <laughs> comes later. Those comes and later. And Wing. Those comes yeah. later. But, yeah. yeah. And Colin like, Wing. No, no, it's like, okay. And so Lee Farr. And you still have Colin Wing's key. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so like, he's handsome. He's I just want to see Colin Wing's key in the moon somewhere. He, I just need to see He loves, like, lady. Yeah. Well, I mean... In this case, when you're talking about her quitting life, um, yeah, in <sighs> I mean, you know, you know what I mean. But I, I, I know no, I know, mean. I know what you mean. But I mean, is the the story leading up to this point? I think um, there is no good way to resolve it. And especially not the original way. I think we have established oh, no, no. that. Oh, we yeah, we have already established that, right? <laughs> so. So, so I think this turned out for the best, even though the you know the whole thing was a big mess. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I know we are not supposed to address the spoilers part, but I thought those two other point um, time that you mentioned, I thought that was actually really well written, especially the reason why she quit X Force. I mean, that. <laughs> but that's the thing, maybe to you, but because mm -hmm. I don't have any other gene connection to yeah. me i'm like okay girl how many times okay. are you gonna quit 
Like, Got you know, mm. because, and then this is like a two things she quit in a moment, yeah. in a matter of like, yeah. you know, it, so that's in a short span of time. Yeah, yeah, short span of time. So then I'm like, so what is it? What is but it the, you want? And is it because that Cyclops is not a No, no but, but to your, to your point, to your point, right? I think it's also fair to say that, um, like Jean was dead for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Twice. Why? 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 Oh. Why is she the? Why is she the? She the character that is getting the brunt of this? Like it's because unimaginative writers who don't know what to do with her. Is that well, why? Yeah. Or I mean, because or Emma's doing it. I I have so many feelings to, to share about this, and I don't I don't dispute yeah. anything Freya says. I think the main thing that makes me really think about is, you know, I've talked about how I, I've always identified more with women characters. In comics, I've always mm-hmm. identified more with a, a Jean or a Dazzler than any man on the X-Men. My, all of my favorite X-Men are, are X-Women, as the saying goes. And I think that for a long time, even somewhat to today, maybe it's changed a little bit in the last five or ten years, that being a fan of a female character in comic books is the practice of having faith. Because you always have to imagine some part of their story that nobody's mm-hmm. going to give you. Especially when they were all written by men, no matter how well-meaning the men were, no matter how much consultation the men got. I think of all my favorite female characters, even Wonder Woman, and it's kind of like the process of recognizing their potential and then waiting for somebody to give you the moment that you know they can have. And I think Jean brings that into such sharp focus because they literally killed her as soon as you could have maybe started getting moments with Jean that you could have had. And then you later, Morrison, whatever their intentions, basically the, the gist of what you get from Morrison is almost them saying like, well, Emma's the more interesting version. Jean is almost like an outdated model. We can tell these stories better now with Emma than we can with Jean. So let's take Jean off the board again. And so I think she's one of my favorite characters, but I feel like I've been waiting since I started reading comics in 1991 mm. for 30 years now to get a... to finally get some good Jean stories. And this is why I get so violently reactive when it's like Jean's in the mini dress again because the best time of her life was wearing the mini dress. I'm like, can somebody please just imagine something new for Jean that that's the next step? And I think the closest yeah. we have ever gotten other than that Jean Grey series by Hopeless is actually X-Men Red, which Free and I don't like. And we have very valid mm. reasons for not liking it. I don't. But X-Men Red is one of the only times that any writer has said, let's see what happens when Taylor. Jean starts something instead of when Jean leaves something. So much about Jean is the aftermath of Jean making an exit, making a, a because she's the only one with the heart to do it. But then oh, yes. what happens to Thank that person you. with heart when they start something. So I, I really feel like I've had a true come to, come to Jesus, we'll say come to Claremont moment on this program <laughs> uh, because Faria has really made me like internalize and accept why I love Jean and why I'm always dissatisfied with Jean. And, and I kind of see it through your eyes. Like, I'm so happy we did this read because I think I've always known all these things to be true and I've never been able to put my arms around it. And now I don't just see it for Jean. I see like my inherent disappointment for all of these women that I love. Rachel Summers, Dazzler, The Invisible Woman, and like how hungry I am to just read good stories that are good representation with them and the few times that it's right. And like, that's why just like you, I love Kamala Khan. I love, you know, because she feels like a, a, a female character that's been fully realized from the first day. And it's something that we so rarely get. But you're, you know, speak right, from your own experience. Like, this is me saying what I'm that, seeing you know, it as somebody who's not in, a, in a, the body of a, a woman living the life experience of a woman. Does that resonate with you at all? 
No, I mean it. It does like you know when you said about like the women, the the char- female characters not getting enough uh, stories and stuff like that. But and that's one of the reason that I feel like post two thousand, in especially in Marvel, it was actually done better for the women mm-hmm. characters. You know, and that's one of the reason not having Jean there, we never actually get to do anything interesting with her other than X-Men Red but we all know that was also because X-Men was dwindling down and they were trying to like slash them there was all Mm -hmm. these other things going on we didn't get that but the thing is like for example all the other ladies have come so far like you know like Emma comes so far Mystique uh, Rogue um, like the um, even Dazzler in the Extreme Pride Jubilee everybody everybody comes so far and then she was left behind and then it's because she was taken out of story twice mm-hmm. and that is uh, and I desperately want her to be so far away from Scott Summer and Logan Howlett like I just yeah. want them want her to be far away from them there is like so even and even if you want them in their story tell me why in the place why she's playing house with these characters in the in the same location where the worst thing that ha- could happen to her happened it was in the moon and she's now playing house with them in the moon. She's playing, mm-hmm. she's playing mother to the characters who don't, she doesn't necessarily have as much time with. Cyclops had more, Scott had more times with them. Yeah. How does she feel about Logan's children? Because Logan has a bunch of children. Why is Scout not with her, with them? She's the one who is supposed to be so compassionate. Why she hasn't made Scout, told Scout, asked Scout, hey, come and have dinner with us in the moon. Mm-hmm. Like, so I want those things to be answered. I want to see it from her point of view. I want issues that are written from her point of view. And I yes. want to understand what about, like, you know, why is she still the face of X-Men? Why is she the face of X-Men? She, and, you know, we can talk, she is still the face of yeah. X-Men. Yeah, starting very much July. so, starting I mean, yeah, like, yeah. So why? But why? The, Given that there's other better model. I'm, yeah. I'm just using I mean, the term. Not, not, not giving, not giving, not, I mean, I'm not not trying to make up excuse, mm-hmm. excuses, mm-hmm. but I feel like a lot of Jean's story centers around Phoenix. They oh, cannot sorry. separate. They cannot separate Jean from Phoenix for some reason. Like, I mean, just look at every time she comes back, it has to do with Phoenix. It has to deal mm-hmm. with Phoenix. So finally, I believe in Housepuffs, she's like totally divorced from yeah. Phoenix and. Hopefully, Dugan can do something with her. Um, or like you said, let's champion for a Jean solo series. Yes. She can do whatever she wants to do. And yes. let's, let's, let's delve deeper into her. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. And one of the things I think the 1991 Blue and Gold status quo did well for many years is that they put Jean and Cyclops on separate teams. That was really mm-hmm. one of the, the smartest things that ever has been done with Jean because it just let her have space to react without going, Scott, Jean, Scott, Jean, which you have to do so many times when you read this, this issue aloud to a child. Let me tell you, you, you yell Scott and Jean a lot. Uh, yeah. So, so I just, I, I think that, uh, you know, I'm just so happy to be at this point because I feel like we've actually come to this common ground on her. Like I have definitely ch- shifted in my appreciation and what I want for her. And I feel like, Freya has had the chance to come along in that journey and it's really fascinating but since this is our season one finale for our epic x-men reread and much like marvel's epic collections i'm not saying we're necessarily coming back to read 138 
mm-hmm. might come back and, and start from some other place, some other series. I, I don't know yet. We're taking a little X-Men breather after this on this show, not on This Week in X, just so yeah. we can all regenerate and, and, and resurrect our love for X-Men. But Freya, like, what do you come away from this thinking? Like, do you want to just, are you hungry? Did I know you have that omnibus. Do you just want to read 138 and plunge forward? Are you rolling your eyes? Like, where has this left you as our first time reader? Given that the untold story is not the original story, like, thank God for that. Because or else I'll be like, you guys are on your own. Continue on reading. I'm <laughs> You'll have a few of those points if we continue on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the thing, but I am actually excited to read forward because I then I can be like, oh my God, Reavers. <laughs> or, or I can say that, oh my God, McCullough and Crystal. I know what yeah. that is about. May- you know. may- maybe you're finally... Um, come into the Kate camp. Oh, no, I'm already on Kate camp. Oh, okay. Honey, yeah, we have, we have, see, this is what I'm telling you. Kate has come so far. She has. Yeah, you might yeah. fall out of the Kate camp briefly once you see all yeah. the stuff she does. But she was well, a teenager. Oh, yeah, she was a kid. I mean, I'm okay with kids growing up better, yeah. you know. But yeah. anyway, um, and then also Peter got me with the whole mystique destiny hook because Peter just slyly mentioned, it's like, yeah, maybe I would actually set up mystique. And I'm like, yeah. okay, fine. I'll read it. Stop twisting my arms. <laughs> So, so there was there's that as well. So yeah, I mean, you know, I I gen- I want to know where these characters come from, even though it's like okay, it has been a long time, and then mm-hmm. does it matter? But um, it's it's fun, and apparently the best parts are coming up. So why should I stop now? <laughs> After going through all of this. <laughs> Tyler what about you I've been talking episode after episode about my gradual transformation seeing it through Freya's eyes but what about your transformation has this read been different for you than any of your past reads I mean it's different in the sense that I'm a little bit more critical um, when in the past when I first reread the series again it's really just for nostalgia so I was like oh okay just to relieve the um, you know some of the feelings when I first read it and 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 and, and reminiscence the the more innocent time for me. <laughs> but um yeah, but you know it, it forces me to be more aware of certain tropes that has been in existence like you know since the 80s or 70s and 80s and that kind of thing and how far things have changed. Um you know I mean Ferriha definitely has very strong point of views and um very um I mean and it's not just Ferriha I think Peter you also brought like you also enlightened me a lot about a lot of things which I in the past would have just oh you know it's like that swept it under the rug and and never think about it again but um you know I I think I think it makes me a better um critical reader of comics and um that is always a good thing because mm. you know i mean otherwise i would just be accepting of um all kind of like you know nonsense that is like dump on me on a month on a weekly basis in books that you know i have to spend money to buy and mm. and and I, and i didn't even i didn't even realize that they were like you know um dumpster dumpster stuff that 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 people just can can I mean, people just can um, what do you call like they 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 just don't want to spend the time to write a story that um that that is that takes that that treats every every type of characters um with equal fairness and you know 
with mm. with um and 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 respect. That's the word that I was looking for. Yeah. So. Wow, that's a that's a shocking indictment of like Wolverine series. Currently, Wolverine <laughs> series, Tyler. <laughs> so I I think I have two two things to close this out, and one's an echo of what Tyler just said, which is that, you know, I think that some people see people who are critical of comics, and they think critical always has to equal negative, and they're like, well, why you you just want to bring your critical read, your critical sentiment into everything? Why can't you just enjoy things? And I think Tyler's issued a wonderful rebuttal to that just there, which is that reading something with critique allows you to access other levels of it. You can read the issue and like the issue. You can think the art was cool, the the, the cool punch really made you, you know, say, wow, that was a great fight. But these are art. There are serious professionals who've trained their whole lives in some cases to put these out and to just treat them like these disposable Kleenexes of story that we toss away. And that's true of all art, right? Like any anybody writing anything for TV, for film, anybody painting a picture, making a sculpture, even, you know, journalists, magazine writers. These are people who are trying to put their best into a version of truth on the page. Mm-hmm. And we can look at that with the filter of appreciating it just for what it is and then the appreciation for how it's built and how it's been done. And I know that's threatening some people because they didn't like English class or, or, you know, critical reasoning class or whatever back in school. And they don't want to use those (laughs) those skills that they um, were asked to use on the great Gatsby again in the modern day. They want to tuck them away. But I think what all three of us are here to tell you is like, you can find so much more to love about the stories you love. The few things you find to dislike about them um, is is going to pale in comparison to all of the depth that you get from them. So I th- I encourage critical reading. I think we should all be critics, not critics in the sense of complaining, but critics in the sense of really saying, why do I like this art? I even do it with food that I eat. You know, when we sit down at dinner, I say, you know, why do we like this meal? Because I want to know why it worked. And I think that also takes a certain personality and nobody's telling you you have to read that way. But that's the way we read here on mm-hmm. Crushing Comics. It's part of why we crush on comics is because we want to think about all the parts, squeeze every ounce of meaning out of them. Oh, that's, that's what Crushing hate. Comics is. <laughs> Free is like, I'm there, I finally got it. No, no, because all, all this time when you were saying crushing comics, I mean, you are crushing it. But Into a little compacted ball. That you are actually crushing on it. Yes! Well, it's multiple, it's, there's multiple levels. So, oh. Well, and connected okay. to that. Because I just to, learned today. That's why it's been crushing crisis all these years. <laughs> I always, the tagline on my site used to be, yeah. um, everything I'm crushing on and everything that's crushing me. You know, it's kind of like the things <gasps> I'm in love with and the things that are making my chest feel like it's going to collapse. <laughs> I always thought it's it was both. the second one. I always thought it was the second one, not mm. the first one. Because I'm cynical. I didn't even see <laughs> that. I didn't even thought about that. It could be a possibility. But anyway. well, at the risk of defanging that excellent res- resolution to this whole first season, I do want to say one <laughs> more thing, which is that there's no right place to start reading any right comic book. Freya mm. has read hundreds of issues of X-Men already and just read this. And guess what? None of this is the best of X-Men. And the thing that you think the best is, of X-Men is, is not somebody else's best of X-Men. So I'm so happy if you listen to this all with us. But if you've just been dropping in or if you're thinking, do I have to continue with 138? Our message to you is read the comic that looks good to you. 
Okay, because you're going to get to read these whenever you want. It's one continuous story. It's the most fascinating, elongated, long-running version of storytelling that we have in the English language right now. And you should appreciate it at whatever point you want to dip your toe into. So whether you want to continue through to 138 without us, and we'll catch up to you when we launch a season two at some point, or Freya jumped right into the 2000s with her next read after this, and pretty <laughs> yeah. much has read everything from 2004 to 2012. Go where it takes you. There's no right way to read X-Men. There's no must-read story for X-Men. There's only comics that you love and comics that you are crushing on. So with that said, I want to say one final time, Freya, why do we get together and read X-Men? Because X-Men is better when it's read together. That's true. absolutely yes. true. This is by far my favorite read yep. uh, alongside the read that I'm doing with my daughter for very similar reasons. So I want to thank Tyler and Freya for putting in so much time to do this reading and recording. I want to thank you for listening to it. We will be back with more Crushing Comics Book Club, not necessarily for X-Men, just following up on this. Mm -hmm. And we will be back in the future with an X-Men epic reread season two but you should let us know if you think we should continue with 138 or jump to somewhere else so until we do on the behalf of myself of tyler and Aria, this has been crushing comics epic x-men reread and we hope that you are well bye until next time until next time Hey guys, welcome to Epic X-Men Reread. Now you might notice that I have taken over the show because I've given it about two weeks of thinking and I finally figured out what we will be reading next. We are all going to dive into Grant Morrison's Batman, which is one of the seminal runs of the 2000s and early 2010s. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna be a whole adventure and I'm really excited and I'm a little afraid of how free is gonna take it. So <laughs> that's where I'm at with this big thing we're about to do. Well, you know, I'm uh, I, I have read uh, an amount of Morrison Batman. It was actually one of the first things I read when I got back into comics back in 2011 because I thought I was getting ready for New 52 and then I never finished it. So I that would actually be fun. But if we're going to do it, can we do it like all the way full, like full scale? Because there's I can we read like the demon stuff that comes before that teases where a certain someone comes from? I think we're going to have to because a huge part of Grant Morrison's run is that every bit of ba Batman continuity is connected and matters and is important. So we're going to do a bit of a dive into earlier Batman to understand that continuity so we can appreciate Grant Morrison's run later on. And I no. think that's going to be really good. And I'm still a little afraid of what Freeha will take of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's trying to sound like you're going to have to read Silver Age comics for, for a week or two. <laughs> oh, it's I mean, coming. I'm going to start with Detective Comics 27. And just read Why straight not? through? Because Grant Morrison starts around like 660. So you've got a while. Right. 660. Freya reads right. 600 issues of Batman. <laughs> That's about how fast I already lost half of my fair. soul reading... Yeah, yeah. I, no, but I already lost half my soul reading Claremont's X-Men. So what else? I, like, I mean, why? I like the idea of you just popping in like, I've read 600 issues of Batman and I declare a blood feud on Harry and Peter. <laughs> oh, don't worry, it's it'll come. <laughs> well, folks, tune in next week. We are going to no assigned reading for next week, unless, of course, you want to go back and read Detective Comics 27, as Freya will be doing. And also, Grant Morrison outlined some of the stories that they knew would be important to their Batman run in the Black Casebook. 
So uh, we're just going to have an intro episode to Batman next week, talk about our love of, of Batman and his many incarnations. But if you want to do a little bit of prep to join us, that would be the things to start looking at. And until next time, Freya, what, we need a new tagline. It's not about X-Men anymore. Oh, I know. I'm, my, my, my brain's turning. Don't worry. It'll come. It'll come. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back next time with some Batman. And I guess uh, Harry's in charge now. No, 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 no,